Section 4 of Svanhilde and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Loke. Svanhilde and Other Fairy Tales by Wilhelm Hauf. Translated by Carolyn Norris Horwitz. Section 4. The Caravan One day, many years ago, a large caravan was traveling across the desert. Over the vast plain, where naught save sand and sky were to be seen, came, from the distance, the tinkle of the bells of the camels and the jingle of the silver trappings of the horses. A thick dust cloud went before and proclaimed the approach of the caravan, and when a current of air parted the cloud, sparkling weapons and magnificently gorgeous raiments flashed before the eye. Thus did the caravan appear to a man who came riding toward it from another point. He was mounted on a beautiful Arabian steed, decked with a tiger skin, from which hung vermilion straps having little silver bells attached. On the head of his horse, a beautiful plume of heron feathers waved gracefully to and fro. The rider's bearing was majestic, and his attire corresponded in elegance to the trappings of his steed. A white turban, richly embroidered in gold, adorned his head. His cloak and trousers were of deep red. A curved sword with a costly handle hung by his side. His turban was drawn low over his face. This and the black eyes which flashed forth from under bushy eyebrows, together with his long beard and hooked nose, gave him a wild and dangerous appearance. When the rider was within about fifteen paces of the vanguard of the caravan, he struck spurs to his horse and in a few seconds arrived at the head of the procession. Now, to see a solitary rider in the desert is an unusual event, and the guards of the caravan, fearing a sudden attack, leveled their spears against him. What would you do? cried the rider, astonished at being received in so hostile a manner. Do you think one single man would attack your caravan? At this the guards were ashamed and swung down their spears, but their leader rode up to the stranger and asked him what he desired. Where is the master of the caravan? asked the rider. It does not belong to one master, answered the guard, but to several merchants who are traveling to their homes by the way of Mecca. We are escorting them through the desert because here the wandering rabble often alarm and rob travelers. Well, conduct me to the merchants, requested the stranger. That I cannot do yet, returned the guard, because we must go on without delay, and the merchants are, at least, a quarter of an hour further behind. If, however, you will ride on with me until we encamp for our midday rest, I will comply with your request. To this, the stranger made no reply. Instead, he unbound from his saddle a long pipe, and as he rode on by the side of the leader of the guards, he sent out from this huge clouds of smoke.
His companion knew not what to think of the stranger. While he did not directly ask him his name, he tried to open a conversation with him. But to all his remarks, such as, You are smoking a very fine tobacco. Or, Your steed has a noble step. The stranger replied with a short, Yes, yes. At last they arrived at the place where they were to take their midday rest. The leader posted his men as sentinels, while he remained with the stranger until the caravan came up. Thirty camels, heavily laden, drew up first, led by armed guards. After these, mounted on four horses, came the four merchants to whom the caravan belonged. All, excepting one, were men of advanced years, with grave, stead faces. This one appeared very much younger than the others. The procession was closed by a number of laden camels and pack horses. Tents were at once pitched, and the camels and horses placed around in a circle. In the middle of this circle there was a large tent of blue silk stuff. Thither the chief guard conducted the stranger. As he passed through the curtain of the tent, he saw the four merchants seated on cushions embroidered with gold, and black slaves were offering them their choice food and wines. Whom have you brought us? cried the younger merchant. Before the guard could answer, the stranger made reply. My name is Selim Baruch, and I am from Baghdad. While on a journey to Mecca, I was taken prisoner by a gang of robbers. Three days ago, I freed myself from my captivity by stealth. The great prophet caused me to hear the bells of your caravan in the far distance, and that is how I have come hither. Allow me to travel in your company. In doing so, you will bestow your protection on no unworthy object, and when you come to Baghdad, I will amply repay your kindness, for I am the nephew of the Grand Vizier. The elder of the merchants hastened to reply. Selim Baruch, said he, You are welcome to our shelter. It affords us great pleasure to serve you, but before all else, sit down and eat and drink with us. So, accepting this kind invitation, Selim Baruch sat down by the merchants and partook of their refreshments. After the repast, the slaves removed the plates and brought long pipes and Turkish sherbet. For a long time, the merchants sat, gazing at the blue clouds of smoke as they curled around, dispersed, and finally vanished by degrees in the air. At length, the younger merchant broke the silence. Thus, for three days we have sat, said he, on horse and at table without anything to help us pass away the time. It seems to me terribly tedious, for I am accustomed after meals to see dances or to hear songs and music. Do you know of anything, my friends, that would help to while away the time? The three elder merchants made no reply. They seemed to be in deep thought. If you will allow me, said the stranger, 
I will make a proposition. I suggest that at each encampment we relate some adventure, or perhaps a fairy story. It may prove a source of much enjoyment. Selim Baruch said, "Ahmed, the elder merchant, I think we may well adopt your proposal." It gratifies me exceedingly to know that my suggestion pleases you, and to show you that I desire nothing unfair. I myself will make the beginning. The merchants were very pleased. They formed a circle and invited the stranger to sit in the middle. The slaves refilled the goblets and replenished their master's pipes. Selim, refreshing himself with a generous draught of sherbet. Parted the long beard from before his mouth and said, "Now then, hear the story of the Caliph Stork." The Caliph Stork, Hasid, Caliph of Baghdad, was reclining on his sofa. It was a beautiful afternoon. He had slept a while, for it was a sultry day, and now. After his accustomed nap, he felt quite bright and merry. He smoked a long rosewood pipe, and every now and then he drank a little coffee handed to him by a slave. After each sip, he stroked his beard in a well-satisfied manner. In short, it was evident that the caliph was in a very good humor. This then was the season to visit him, for at such times. He was always indulgent and affable. For this reason, his grand vizier Mansour, in making his daily calls, chose this special hour. On this afternoon, according to his custom, Mansour entered, but looking very thoughtful. The caliph, taking his pipe from his mouth, said. Why do you look so very serious, Grand Vizier? The Grand Vizier crossed his arms upon his breast, bent the knee before his master, and answered, "My lord, if I am looking serious, I did not know it. But there is, at the further end of the castle, a peddler who has such a beautiful wares that it vexes me because I have not more spare money." The caliph was pleased to make a friend of his grand vizier, so he sent his black slave to bring the peddler to him. Very soon, the slave returned with the peddler. The latter was a small, thick-set man, with an exceedingly brown face, and in ragged attire. He carried a case in which he had all manner of wares, pearls and rings. Richly inlaid pistols, glasses, and combs. The caliph and his vizier examined his merchandise. Finally, the caliph bought handsome pistols for himself and Mansour, and a costly comb for Mansour's wife. As the peddler was replacing his wares, the caliph spied a small drawer, and asked if it contained anything which they had not seen. The peddler. Pulled out the drawer, and disclosed to view a small snuff box. It contained a black-looking powder, and a paper, 
whereon were written strange words that neither the caliph nor Mansur could read. I bought this box and paper from a merchant who found them in the streets in Mecca, said the peddler. I do not know what they contain. They are yours for any trifling price you may give. I can make no use of them. The caliph was fond of collecting old manuscripts for his library, even when he could not read them. So he bought the paper and the box, and the peddler went his way. The caliph thought, however, that he would like very much to know what the manuscript contained, and asked Mansur if he knew anyone who could translate it. Most gracious lord and ruler, answered the vizier, at the great mosque, there lives a man called Selim the Learned, who understands every language. Let him come, perhaps he knows this mysterious tongue. So the learned Selim was brought into the master's presence. Selim, began the caliph, it is said that you are very learned. Study this writing a minute, and see if you can read it. If you can, I will give you a new feast dress. If you cannot, you shall receive twenty lashes on your back, and twenty-five on your soles of your feet. For if you fail, you have been wrongly called Selim the Learned. Thy will be done, my lord, he answered. For a long time he studied the manuscript. Suddenly he cried out, By the beard of the prophet, my lord, it is Latin. Then if it is Latin, tell us what it means, commanded the caliph. And Selim read, Man, whoever thou art, that findest this snuff-box, praise Allah for his favor. Herein is a marvelous thing, for whoever shall inhale a pinch of the powder in this box, thereupon pronounce the word Mutabor, can transform himself into any animal, and also understand its language. If he wishes to be changed back into his human form, let him bow himself three times towards the east and pronounce the same word. But beware, whilst thou art transformed, that thou dost not laugh, else the magic word will vanish entirely out from thy mind, and thou wilt always remain an animal. The Caliph was well pleased with Selim's ability to read the manuscript. He, however, exacted that promise that he would tell no one of the secret, gave him a beautiful robe, and dismissed him. To his grand vizier, he was more confiding. I call that a good purchase, Mansour. How I enjoy the anticipation of being transformed. Early tomorrow, come to me. We will then go together to the fields, snuff a little of the powder, and find out what is spoken in the air, the water, and the fields. The caliph had scarcely dressed and breakfasted next morning when the grand vizier came to him as he had commanded to accompany him in his rambles. The caliph put the box containing the magic powder in his girdle, and telling his attendants to remain behind, he and Mansur set off by themselves.
they went first through the caliph's great garden, where they searched in vain for some live thing by which to prove the magic powder. The vizier, at length, proposed that they go in the vicinity of a pond where he had often seen many birds. Among them were storks. Here was a biped that had always attracted his attention because of its solemn demeanor and loud clacking. The caliph thought the vizier's suggestion a very good one. When they reached the pond, they saw a stork walking demurely about in search of frogs and insects. They also spied another high up in the air, flying in the direction of the pond. I will wager, my beard, most gracious lord, cried the vizier, that those long legs will hold a fine discourse together. How would it do for us to become stores? Well spoken, replied the caliph, but we must first consider how we can again become men. After bowing towards the east three times, and saying, Mutabor, shall I again be caliph and you vizier? Only by heaven's will, having not laughed, otherwise we are lost. As the caliph spoke, the second stork hovered lower and lower about his head, and finally alighted on the ground. Quickly drawing the box from his girdle, the caliph took a generous pinch of the powder and offered it to his vizier. Following his master's example, both cried in one voice, Mutabar! The word was scarcely spoken before their legs began to shrivel up and become thin and red. Then their arms turned to wings and their necks stretched out from their shoulders. Each was of an enormous length. Their beards vanished and their heads and bodies became covered with smothed feathers. Truly, you have a very pretty beak, O Grand Vizier, the Caliph remarked, gazing at his companion. By the beard of the Prophet, I have never seen so wonderful a transformation. My humble thanks, returned the Grand Vizier, and if I may venture a remark, your highness appears even more beautiful as a stork than as a caliph. But if it is your pleasure, I would like to join our comrades and learn if we can understand the true stork language. By this time, the second stork had pruned his feathers and gone to meet his mate. So the two new ones hastened toward them. What was their astonishment to hear the second stork say, Good morning, Miss Longlegs. Out in the meadow so early. Yes, dear clapping bird. I have caught myself quite a breakfast. Would you relish a little piece of bird? Or perhaps a frog's leg? Many thanks, but I have no appetite this morning. Besides, I'm here on the meadow for quite another purpose. I dance before my father's guests and will take refreshments there. And the young stork strode off through the fields with a ridiculously odd motion. The caliph and Mansour watched her with surprise. She stood on one foot in a most picturesque posture and fanned herself gracefully with her wings. The caliph and the vizier were greatly amused. They laughed long and loud. Indeed, 
they seemed quite incapable of checking their mirth. The caliph, however, was the first to recover himself. That was indeed a pastime, he cried. A pastime not to be bought with gold. Oh, what a pity that the silly birds have allowed themselves to be frightened away by our laughter. If not, they surely would have sung. But no sooner had he said this than the truth flashed across the mind of the vizier. They were forbidden to laugh during their transmutation. He confided his fear to his master. By Mecca and Medina, exclaimed the caliph. Then it was sorry sport if I must remain a stork. Think, what is the magic word? I, I cannot recall it. Three times we must bow towards the east, said the vizier, and thereupon say, Moo, moo, moo. They turned towards the east and bowed so low that their beaks nearly touched the ground. But alas, the magic word had fled. As often as the caliph bowed himself, his vizier cried out, But the magic word, Mutabar, refused to cross his lips. So poor Hasid and his grand vizier, Mansur, were obliged to retain their stork forms. What to do, they did not know. In great distress, the enchanted ones wandered through the fields. They could not go back to the city, for if they made themselves known, no one would believe their story. The inhabitants of Baghdad have a stork to rule over them. Never! For many days they moved slowly about and fed themselves scantily with wild fruits. On account of their long bills, they could not eat without difficulty. Eider ducks and frogs they shunned. Such tidbits they were afraid would injure their digestion. One comfort only remained. They could fly. So they often went to the roofs of Baghdad to learn what was happening there. On the first day, they witnessed a great commotion in the streets. The fourth day of their enchantment, as they sat on the roof of the caliph's palace, they saw a magnificent parade. The music of drums and fifes filled the air. There was great display and show. Upon an elegantly equipped steed, surrounded by gorgeously attired servants, sat a man clad in a gold-embroidered scarlet mantle. Half of Baghdad seemed to follow him. Presently, the shout arose, Long live Mirza, Caliph of Baghdad. The storks exchanged glances. Ah, now I know why I have been transformed, said the Caliph. Listen, this Mirza is the son of my deadly enemy, Karshnur, the mighty enchanter. In an evil hour he swore vengeance against me, yet I do not despair. Come, thou faithful companion of my misfortune, let us travel to the great prophet's grave. At such a holy place, perchance, the magic spell will dissolve. So 
they at once rose up from the palace roof and flew in the direction of Medina. But flying proved not such an easy mode of travel after all, for neither of the storks were skilled in the practice of that art. Oh, my lord, I cannot hold out much longer, exclaimed the grand vizier with a sigh after two hours of travel. Your majesty flies too rapidly, and see, it is growing dark. Had we not better seek a place of shelter for the night? Hasid respected his companion's request, and spying a little way down the valley, a ruin which no doubt would give them shelter, they flew thither. They alighted on what seemed once to have been a castle. Beautiful columns jutted out from under the ruins. There were apartments in a perfect state of preservation. All seemed to testify to the former magnificence of the edifice. Chassid and the vizier went through the corridors in search of the best shelter the place afforded. Suddenly, the stork Mansur stopped. My lord and ruler, he said in a whisper, to, to be afraid of ghosts is foolish for a grand vizier, still more for a stork. Yet truly I am, I am alarmed, for right beside us I heard an audible groan and sigh. The caliph stood quite still and listened attentively. Distinctly, there came the sound of a low wailing. Without waiting longer, he started in the direction whence the plaintive tones proceeded. But the vizier, seizing him by the wing with his beak, besought him not to plunge himself into some new and unknown danger, but all in vain. Under the caliph's stork wings beat a fearless heart. He tore himself from the vizier's grasp with the loss of a few feathers and hastened on through a dark corridor. He soon arrived at a door which seemed only to lean against the doorway behind which he distinctly heard groans and cries. He thrust back the door with his beak but stopped rather quickly upon the threshold. He had come upon the ruins of an apartment dimly lighted by a small lattice window. On the ground he saw an immense owl. Tears were falling from its great round eyes, and with vehement voice it poured forth its complaints. But upon seeing the caliph and his viziers, for the faithful Mansur had followed his master, it raised a loud cry of joy. Quickly wiping away the tears with its spotted brown wings, to the astonishment of both, it cried out in good Arabic, Welcome to you, storks. You are an omen of my rescue. It is once prophesied that some great happiness should come to me through storks. Recovering from his surprise, the caliph made a bow with his long neck, brought his feet into a more elegant position, and said, Owl, after your words, I must believe that I see in you a companion in adversity. But alas, your hope that we can rescue you is vain. You will yourself recognize our helplessness if you hear our story. 
and the caliph at once related their sad adventure. When he had finished, the owl thanked him and said, Now, listen to my story, for I am not less unfortunate than you. My father is the king of India. I, his only unhappy daughter, am named Lusa. The magician Kahnur, who transformed you, has also plunged me into great misfortune. He came one day to my father and demanded my hand in marriage for his son Mirza. My father, who is a quick-tempered man, threw him down the steps. The wretch knew that if he ever met me again, it must be in another form. And so, as I was walking in my garden, he, dressed as a slave, offered me a drink which unchanged me into this detestable shape. While overcome with horror, he brought me to this place and cried in my ears with a tremendous voice, Here you shall remain, ugly, despised by even the beasts, until you die, or until someone of his own free will takes you in this hideous shape to be his wife. Thus, I have avenged myself on you and your proud father. That was many months ago. Alone and sad, I live here like a hermit. I am cut off from the world, and am indeed a terror to the very beasts. Beautiful nature is lost to me, for I am blind in the day. Only when the moon pours its pale light over these buildings does the dense veil fall from my eyes. Having finished her story, the owl again wiped her eyes with her wings. The recital of her sorrows made her grief even more intense. The caliph was greatly excited by the princess's narrative. If I am not mistaken, he said, I detect a striking similarity in our misfortunes, but where am I to look for the key to this riddle? The owl replied, My lord, I have the same presentiment, for in my earliest youth it was prophesied by a wise woman that a stork would bring me some great good luck. I think I know how we can save ourselves. The caliph was astonished at this and asked her to explain her meaning. The magician who has made us both unhappy, replied the owl, comes once every month to these ruins. Not far from this apartment there is a banquet hall. Here he is joined by many of his companions who meet to feast and tell each other of their shameful deeds. I have often watched them there. Perhaps in that room he may speak the magic word that you have forgotten. Oh, dearest princess, exclaimed the caliph, when does he come? Where is the banquet hall? Tell me, I, I pray you. The owl was silent for a moment. Then she said, Take it not unkindly, but only on one condition can I fulfill your wish. Speak out, speak out, cried Kasid. You have but to command, and I will obey. 
I too am anxious to be released, said the owl. But that cannot be unless one of you consent to marry me. The storks were greatly embarrassed at this proposal. The caliph drew away from the owl and motioned her companion to follow him. Grand vizier, he said, when they were outside the owl's door, this is a stupid affair, but you can easily take her. So easily, answered the vizier, that when I went home, my wife would scratch my eyes out. Besides, I am an old man, you are young and unmarried. Here is an opportunity to give your hand to a beautiful young princess. Yes, sighed the caliph, drooping his wings sadly. But who told you that she is young and pretty? This is what is called buying a cat in a bag. They talked for some time. The caliph found that his vizier would rather remain a stork than marry the owl, so he decided to fulfill the condition himself. The owl was delighted. She told them that they could not have come at a better time, for without doubt the magicians would assemble that very night. So she set out to guide the storks to the banquet hall. It took them a long time to go through the dark passage, but at last a bright stone in a half-broken-down wall cast forth its rays. Arrived at this point, the owl advised them to keep perfectly still. From the gap in which they stood, they could overlook a large room. It was beautifully furnished. Many colored lamps burned on its walls. These supplied the light of day. In the center of the room stood a round table covered with choice food. Couches were drawn around the table, and on these couches reclined eight men. The storks recognized in one of these the peddler who had sold them the magic powder. When asked to tell the company of his latest deeds, the peddler at once related, among others, the story of the caliph and his vizier. What magic word have you given them? asked one of the magicians. A right difficult Latin word, replied the peddler. It is pronounced mutabor. Upon hearing this, the storks were nearly beside themselves with joy. They turned and ran so quickly toward the entrance of the ruin that the owl could scarcely follow them. When they had reached the door, the caliph exclaimed, A rescuer of my life and the life of my friend, as an everlasting token of gratitude for what you have done to us, receive me as your husband. Then he turned towards the east. Three times the stork bowed their long necks towards the sun, which had just risen from behind the mountains. Mutabar, they cried. In a thrice they were changed. For some time both caliph and vizier laughed and wept in each other's arms. Their joy seemed to know no bounds. But who shall describe their amazement? When at length they turned around, a beautiful lady, richly attired, stood before them, blushing charmingly. She gave her hand to the caliph. Do you not know your owl? she asked, for it was indeed the owl, 
retransformed into the princess. The caliph's eyes were dazzled by her beauty and grace. It is the greatest good fortune of my life that I was transformed into a stork, he cried. The three at once set off together on their journey to Baghdad. In the pockets of their clothes, the caliph found not only the box of magic powder, but his purse as well. And at the nearest village, he purchased whatever was needed for their journey. Making no unnecessary delay, they soon arrived at the gates of Baghdad. The return of the caliph was cause for great rejoicing, for he had been given up as dead. And when people were told the cause of their beloved ruler's absence, their hearts burned with hatred against the impostor Mirza. They hastened to the palace and took the old enchanter and his son prisoners. By order of the caliph, Kahnur, the magician, was sent to the ruined castle. The apartment in which the princess was confided while an owl was assigned to him, and in that very room he was hung. With the son, Mirza, however, the caliph dealt more kindly. His father's arts were unknown to him, so he was allowed the choice of either death or of snuffing the magic powder. The son chose the latter. The box was given to him by the Grand Vizier. He inhaled one good, generous pinch, and at the caliph's magic word he was changed into a stork. After the transformation, the caliph had him confined in an iron cage and ordered the cage to be placed in his garden. Caliph Hasid lived long and happily with his beautiful wife, the Princess Lusa. The afternoon hours were his pleasantest ones. The Grand Vizier always visited him then, and they never tired of recounting their stork adventure. If the Caliph was in a particularly good humor, he would try to imitate the movements of a stork. His personations were very amusing, as with stiffened legs and arms extended to represent wings, he would make an effort to fly. But the most ludicrous part was when he bowed towards the east, at the same time crying, M -m 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 To the princess and her children, this representation was ever a fresh delight. If, however, the caliph continued his personations beyond a certain limit, the vizier always threatened to tell the Princess Lusa what happened outside the owl's door. When Selim Bahuk had finished his story, the merchants declared themselves well pleased. Truly, the afternoon has passed without our perceiving it, said one, drawing aside the tent cover. The evening wind is blowing cool and we can proceed on our journey. His companions agreeing, the tents were taken down, and the caravan was soon on its way again. They rode nearly all night. During the day, the heat on the desert was oppressive, but the nights are refreshing. At length, coming to a comfortable place of encampment, they pitched the tents, and each sought the rest he so much needed. The merchants extended to the stranger every kindness had he been an invited guest, they could not have proffered greater hospitality. 
The heat was so intense next morning, upon arising, that, after consulting together, they thought best to remain where they were during the day. After finishing their morning repast, they drew closer together again. The younger merchant, turning to Ahmed, the oldest, said, Selim Baruch made us spend a very pleasant afternoon yesterday. Will you not relate one of your many interesting adventures, or some good fairy tale? Ahmed considered a moment. Finally, he said, Dear friends, you have proved yourself faithful companions on this odd journey, and Selim also, I feel, deserves my confidence. Therefore, I will relate to you an adventure from my own life, one that I would not tell before everybody. So saying, he told the story of the haunted ship. End of section four.